Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support. Hello and welcome to the Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcast. Today we'll be speaking to our steering committee member, Paul Richardson, from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, US. So it's my pleasure to present, uh, on behalf of my co-investigators, the preliminary results of our first in human phase one study of the novel cell mod agent CC92480, which I'll refer to going forward as 480 uh, in the interests of, of time. Uh, and we combined this agent with dexamethasone in patients with relapsed and refractory multiple myeloma as part of a multi-center uh, international trial. Now, the background to 480 uh, as an agent is really, uh, I think, intriguing. Um, it's a potent novel cerebron E3 ligase modulator, a so-called cell mod, it was designed specifically for the rapid and maximal degradation of key target proteins, including Icaros and Aeolos. Um, by virtue of this, it actually has a direct antimyeloma and immune stimulatory effect in preclinical models that's quite striking. And in combination with potent antiproliferative effects, it's clearly tumoricidal in not only myeloma cell lines, but in actually pomalidomide and lenalidomide resistant myeloma models. And most importantly, it's synergistic with standard of care therapies, including dexamethasone, but also proteasome inhibition of monoclonal antibodies. Now, by way of background um, for the preclinical model, um, efficient substrate degradation leading to apoptosis and potent uh, antiproliferative activity in lenalidomide and pomalidomide resistant myeloma models is best illustrated by its effects on ALOS degradation efficiency, on apoptosis induction kinetics, and in the antiproliferative activity then in more classical uh, preclinical uh, myeloma uh, models. And this we, we illustrated nicely at our presentation uh, this morning at ASCO. Um, I think it's important to realize that 480 has a large molecular size compared to the other small molecules that are effective in this area, including pomalidomide and lenalidomide. And this bigger molecular structure is very important because it occupies more uh, of the pocket uh, into which um, these molecules engage as part of this uh, unique effect in the context of the um, E3 uh, ligase and, and cerebron complex, which is really really the, the, the key to understanding the, the drug. Now, in terms of the preclinical data, we were able to then use preclinical information um, from uh, the effects that the drug was having to inform a dose and schedule that we built for the phase one. So our phase one design um, was basically uh, adapted to two components a continuous schedule and an intensive schedule. And in the continuous schedule, we looked at uh, basically daily dosing. And in the intensive schedule, we looked at twice a day dosing with dexamethasone as a partner given in a classical weekly fashion. Um, the patient population were relapse and refractory myeloma patients in whom all other available treatments had failed them or, or were, were contraindicated. And so that meant these patients were classically uh, refractory to lenalidomide, pomalidomide, proteasome inhibition, and monoclonal antibody therapy. And the study endpoints were to look at an assessment of pharmacokinetics, um, safety as a key parameter, and then by doing that, define an MTD and a so-called recommended phase two dose. And obviously a secondary endpoint that was important um, was to define efficacy. And we looked at two schedules in the continuous uh, compartment, 10 out of 14 days over 28 days, and 21 out of 28 days uh, in the other. And in the intensive schedules, because of the BID dosing, it was three out of 14 days to start with across the 28-day period, and then seven out of 14 days is where we landed 
uh, as data came in. And of course, the part two uh, cohort expansion uh, is currently ongoing. So it's important to emphasize this is a large phase one trial, but the phase uh, two component of it uh, is currently ongoing. Now, in that regard, the, the phase one component was an adaptive Bayesian dose escalation. Uh, and in the interest of time, I simply want to uh, describe to you what we did, which was to go from 0.1 milligram daily to milli a milligram daily for the continuous schedule, and from 0.2 to 0.8 in the intensive schedule. And what we learned from both is that there was deep alios degradation with both approaches, but importantly, a longer continuous break was needed to allow recovery um, for the continuous schedule, hence we landed at 21 out of 28 days. And in the intensive schedule, we found deep air loss degradation, but very importantly, there were longer days needed on therapy to prevent the rebound of myeloma paraproteins, uh, indicative of disease re-emerging if unless you were more continuous. So <clears throat> that helped inform uh, our, our strategy going forward. In terms of the patients, we had 76 in this analysis, median age of 66 with our oldest person being 78. As you'd expect, um, the majority of these patients had ISS 2-3 disease at the time of study entry, and we were enriched with actually 37% of the patients for extramedullary disease. And we did do high-risk cytogenetics at the time of study entry, but at the time of this presentation, and that analysis is ongoing. In terms of prior therapies, which I think are very informative, um, 75% of the patients were lenalidomide refractory, 80% pomalidomide refractory. Uh, and in fact, if you combine those two, that meant 90% were imid refractory in the classical sense. That same spirit, uh, three quarters of the patients were proteasome inhibitor refractory. And importantly, 70% of the patients were refractory to anti-CD30 monoclonal antibody therapy. So it was typically classically defined, the triple class refractory group in this phase one study and they were all relapsed and refractory, was actually strong at 50%, which is very important because that's a very vulnerable population in which other therapies or effective therapies are, don't exist. So in terms of treatment disposition, about a third of patients remain ongoing at the time of this presentation. Uh, and of those who have discontinued, the vast majority have discontinued for progressive disease. What's very important is that we had no treatment-related deaths on the study, and in fact, uh, drug discontinuation did not occur uh, for toxicity, which is an important point. How do we define dose uh, dose toxicity? Well, the majority of it was derived from neutropenia and some thrombocytopenia. MTD was determined at a milligram daily um, for both continuous schedules, 10 out of 14 to start with, and then 21 out of 28, um, because the intensive schedule, as I mentioned, uh, needed that longer duration of therapy um, in order to control disease better. Now, I should mention we did run into two cases of grade two pneumonitis. And that points, I think, really to the potency uh, of this agent as an immune stimulator. But it was grade two in both cases, both manageable with appropriate supportive care, dose reduction, uh, and dose interruption. And both patients were able to continue on treatment. So that's an important uh, uh, point to make because obviously pneumonitis is a concern. Uh, but if it's manageable, uh, that's uh, obviously encouraging. Now, in terms of other side effects that are important to, to bring to everyone's attention, as I mentioned, neutropenia and thrombocytopenia dominated. Uh, we only allowed uh, GCSF to use once neutropenia had occurred. Uh, and so prophylactic uh, GCSF was not permitted during the first cycle of therapy. Um, so when it did occur, uh, you could dose interrupt, dose reduce, and use GCSF. And importantly, in that spirit, for, uh, in terms of number of dose uh, reductions, of 480, that occurred in actually just 22% of patients, which was, we think,
of an encouraging signal. And very importantly, as I mentioned before, there were no discontinuations because of adverse events. Now, the pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics are complicated, but I just want to summarize them very quickly by saying that we saw systemic exposure was increased in a dose-consistent fashion, correlating with pharmacodynamic effects. And in uh, the context of ALOS, we were able to demonstrate uh, maximal ALOS degradation of one milligram, which was very good. And as I mentioned, we did also know that you needed a break for recovery, but also the continuous schedule was essential um, because that would provide deep and sustained drops in myeloma proteins. And so hence the 21 out of 28 days was informed not just by the clinical observations, but by really this comprehensive correlative science. So what about responses? Well, we take the intent to treat population, which is obviously the important approach to this, and look at all 76. Um, the overall response rate was 21%, with a clinical benefit rate which incorporates minimal response, which in phase one, I think, is an important clinical uh, parameter. If you look at that, it's 26.3%. Now, this is the exciting piece. When we drill down at the MTD, first of all, we have demonstrated an overall response rate of 40%, with an MR or better of 50%, which I think was particularly encouraging in such a heavily pretreated refractory population. And then when we looked at the 21 out of 28 days, which was the optimal schedule, so best dose, best schedule, recognizing the numbers are, uh, remain at this point relatively early and small, so only 11 patients. But of those 11 patients, on 21 out of 28, treated at one milligram, we were very encouraged. The overall response rate was 55%, and the clinical benefit rate was 64%, which we think for an oral therapy and a monotherapy, essentially, is remarkable. Um, what was very interesting is if you look at these patients, seven out of the 11 were triple class refractory, so the exquisitely vulnerable group. And in them, of those seven who responded, we had a CR, a VGPR, two PRs, and one minimal response. So, you know, that response signal for our patients is pretty encouraging. And these were durable. Uh, our, our, our swimmer spots clearly showed that. And then what was particularly interesting was in the extramedullary compartment, we were able to demonstrate that those patients with extramedullary disease responded, particularly the milligram dosing. And we actually had VGPRs and CRs in this group. And during the presentation, I was able to show a case from my, my colleague, Dr. Nazar Balis in Calgary. Nazar was very kind in providing me with the uh, PET-CT imaging for this patient. The patient had a partial response to treatments going on very well, but remarkably, after three cycles of uh, 480, um, had a complete uh, a resolution on PET-CT of a large lesion in his liver, um, which I think is quite amazing, actually. And that, that, for me, was very, very important to see. And we've seen similar responses in other patients with extramedullary disease. So this was not a sort of flash in the pan. This was something that we saw in a sustained fashion. Um, so our conclusions, really. Um, 480, it's obviously a cell mod agent. Um, it builds very nicely on data we've heard before, about 220, ibertamide, um, which is in the cell mod class, but actually is less potent preclinically. Uh, and this may be very relevant thinking of the positioning of these two drugs. So we've had the excitement around 220. Now we have the excitement around 480. And um, what I think is so impressive is that there's a manageable safety profile. We've carefully determined the best dose and schedule, a milligram, three weeks on, one week off. We've seen uh, side effects that are mainly myelosuppression, so very manageable. And very, very importantly, we've seen activity in this exquisitely vulnerable patient population of triple-class refractory myeloma, and done so at, at rates and depths and durations of response that I, I personally consider very encouraging. So what's going on? Uh, 
the dose expansion cohort continues. Um, the phase one, two study evaluating the combination of 480 with other drugs is now up and running. And, and we're, you know, we're participating in this and results so far have been very encouraging with that. Uh, and I think looking to the future, um, I, I, I do believe 480 will be a very important addition um, to the armamentarium and the therapies we have for our relapse refractory patients. So thank you very much for your kind attention. And I just want to conclude by uh, thanking my co-investigators, and in particular, the respective sites in Canada, Denmark, Finland, Spain, United Kingdom, and the United States. Uh, I really do want to thank our patients and families. Participating in a phase one study um, in this setting is really uh, not uh, an easy undertaking, uh, but it's been a privilege to, to help our patients with this approach. And our patients also have been remarkably uh, um, uh, uh, helpful by providing samples, both maybe blood, peripheral blood, and in fact bone marrow, um, recognizing we try to minimize those interventions for everyone's comfort and quality of life. But it's incredibly informative because it's really helped us understand what to do. So thank you again for your kind attention. Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support.